All right. Well, cross points. I am pretty excited about today's message. Um, I hope you're ready. Okay, there's there's a couple of you that are ready. Um, I, you might need to get seat buckled in this morning. Buckle your seat belts and get ready. We've been talking, uh, if you're new or maybe you haven't been here in a couple weeks, uh, we've been talking about this idea of the devil's schemes. And um, there's, a, there's a passage that we've been walking through um, in Ephesians chapter 6. And it's kind of our, our verse that, that's our anchor verse over the next several weeks um, that we've been talking about the devil's schemes. And here's the, here's the passage. It says this, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. All right, we, we, we've walked through this quite a bit, but basically I, I want you to know that you can't be strong in your power. You have to be strong in his power because you're weak, he's strong. You don't know and he knows. He's got a plan. You don't have a plan. Your plan always messes up. His plan always leads to victory. Okay, amen. All right, so be strong in the Lord, not in, not in your strength, but in his mighty power. And it says put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has a scheme, but God has a plan. I, I want that to seep into your spirit this morning. So I want you to repeat that after me so that we, you're not just hearing, you're not just in a theater where you're watching a movie. I want you to engage. I want your hearts to engage, your spirits to engage. So, so say this, the devil has a scheme. Come on, all those of you online as well. Okay, say it one more time. The devil has a scheme, but God has a plan. God has a plan for me. Oh, that didn't quite get all of you. Let's do this again. God has a plan for me. The devil has a scheme for me. So what does the scripture say? Put on the full armor of God so that you can what? Stand against the devil's schemes. Exactly. Uh, last week I talked about the scheme of offense. That oftentimes uh, the devil uses this the, the scheme of offense, so that we get offended, we get hurt, we get wounded. We turn inward and we get frustrated, angry. We, we, we live in unforgiveness. We live in bitterness. And so we hold on to this offense. And once we do that, the scheme of the devil then is such that he can get a hold of our hearts and destroy us from the inside out. What, what I find interesting about the scheme of offense that I didn't get to mention last week is that it always turns inward. Offense always turns inwards. Offense becomes selfish. It's the reverse of what God's plan is for us, that he wants us to think about others. He doesn't want us to live a selfish life. He wants us to live a generous life. That I'm generous with my forgiveness. That even as Christ forgave me, so I'm going to forgive others, even if they don't deserve it. And that's really hard. I mean, you preach really easily, but man, it's really hard to live. Uh, last week, um, 
for those of you that don't know, there's, uh, there's this uh, vision that we have at Cross Points Church where we, over the next three years, are delivering Bibles to 30,000 homes in a five-mile radius of this church. And it's a big vision. It's a big goal. 30,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're delivering Bibles. We're praying for every single home. And we're inviting each of those homes, all 30,000, to come to Cross Points and experience like God's goodness here. And we're, we're opening our doors up to the community, all of these things. And, and so uh, many of you have delivered. I'm, I'm curious, how many of you have delivered a Bible? I'm just If you've delivered, let me see your hands. Oh, my goodness. So many of you. Okay. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Well, uh, last week or the week before, uh, we had a group that went out and delivered Bibles. And um, on Monday, and it was Saturday, and then on Monday, uh, Pastor Andy uh, came into our Monday morning meeting that we have with our staff. We call it Monday Morning Wins, and we talk about all the good things that God's done. And he comes in, and he says, well, I don't know if this is a win or, or, or not. I, I don't know what to think about this. And I said, what are you talking about, Andy? And he said, well, he said, um, I just received one of the boxes. We deliver Bibles in boxes, and we go to homes, and we drop them off. We don't, you know, we don't knock on the door. We're not trying to beat them over the head. We're just leaving it at the doorstep. And uh, he said, uh, one of our Bible boxes was left uh, right outside the office doors. I said, oh, that's interesting. And, and written on the, the, the box, the front of the box, was uh, cross points just written out, cross points, cross points, cross points, and then a pentagram on the front of the box that had written, it was kind of like they're trying to curse the church. And then on the reverse side, it says, don't leave this SHI uh, on my door. With a, 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 it took the time to write a, a, a little image of a guy holding up the middle finger. So Pastor Andy said, I don't know if this is a win or not. And I said, this is a big win. Think about this. This person, no, think about it. Think about this. Just for a second. Think about it. This person went all to, to, to this, all this trouble to not only write on the box, not just on the front, but on the back, not just to write on it, but to come all the way to Cross Points Church, come into our parking lot, come right up to our door, and lay the box at our door. That's a big win. That's a huge win. Now, so we could, you know, we could have gotten offended. Well, how dare he or she? How dare they do that? That's ridiculous. That's, this, this, this city is going to hell in a handbasket. It's ridiculous. I mean, that's how we could have got all offended, right? But, and then it, and it, you know what happens? So that when we begin to think like that, I want you to think about it in your own personal life. What that begins to do is that becomes, we begin to think about ourselves. How dare they? I'm offended. I'm hurt. Why would they do that? I'm trying to be nice to them, and they're trying to be mean. You see how it's all inwards? And that's the scheme of the devil. Jesus says, flip that around. If someone persecutes you, rejoice. Be glad because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus even says, pray for those that persecute you. You see how Jesus flips it? It's not about me. It's about that individual because some kind of conviction got on that individual. The Holy Spirit, I believe, got on that individual in such a way that it became very uncomfortable for that individual. And so what we did as a staff is that right then and there, we began to pray for that person. 
Because I want to see people like, not just that individual, I want to see people like that all throughout our city come to know Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen this morning? Yeah. So I think about like uh, Don Wing and her husband Rob and the others that are helping us lead that. Like, thank you so much. They're putting together all these boxes and addresses. Again, we're not hounding people with it. We're simply leaving it at their doorstep. But the conviction of God like moves in such a powerful way. So church, can you join with me in prayer as we open up today's message and we pray for those in our city that don't know Christ. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, that there are people in our city that are desperate in need of you. And you've chosen us not just Cross Points Church, but all of the churches in Kansas City. Lord, all of those that proclaim your name here in Kansas City. Lord, I pray that you would use each church. Lord, each Christian in our community, may we be a shining light to the community around us. Lord, I pray that we would not turn inward and get offended and get all hurt and upset, but rather, God, I pray that we would flip it around, and God, that we would be those that would pray, Lord, that we would be those that love, Lord, those that would shine a light, Lord, that would turn to them in kindness and consideration. Lord Jesus, even as you were kind to sinners and loved the sinners, God, we pray, Jesus, that even as you love us as sinners in, our, in the midst, Lord, we thank you that you're going to move in mighty ways in our city. We pray for an awakening in our community of people that would come to know you, Jesus Christ, that would leave, Lord, the shackles of sin, the chains of sin, and, Lord, that they would be set free by the power of your Spirit. God, use this church and other churches in our city, Lord, to bring and to proclaim your name in our city. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen and amen. I told you, I'm just getting started. I'm, I'm excited this morning. You know, it's interesting. When you begin to, like, step out, like, like things begin to happen. Uh, Charles Wesley, he, he used to say this. He said, if, if I haven't been offended or I haven't been persecuted in a day, I haven't been doing my job as a pastor. He said that one day, nothing had happened to him, and he was crying out to God, God, forgive me. And this guy threw a brick at him. And he said, thank you, Lord, finally. It's a great little story. I love that. It's so true. So Ephesians chapter 6 says this, be strong, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against those in our community that are wanting to curse us. Our struggle is not against the people that you work with that irritate you, that harass you, that stab you behind your back. That's not your enemy. The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm recognize that we don't fight against physical people, that we fight in another dimension. And so then Paul says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 14, he says, stand firm then. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. 
The devil has a scheme, but God has a plan. Can you say that one more time with me? The devil has a scheme, but God has a plan. The devil has a scheme for me, but God has a greater plan for me. Amen, amen. Uh, We're going to look at Luke chapter 12 this morning. Uh, Jesus was teaching, and all of these people had gathered around. He was talking to the religious leaders of the day, and they were getting frustrated with Jesus because he hadn't, like, grown up in kind of the the traditional way of becoming a teacher. Uh, He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. And they were upset and frustrated with him, always trying to corner him. And the crowds loved to hear Jesus preach. And it says that the, at the end of Luke chapter 11, the beginning of Luke chapter 12, that thousands of people had gathered around Jesus as he was teaching. And he was talking to the crowds and telling them about the kingdom of God and all of these kind of things. And, and if you can picture it in your mind, there were thousands of people crowded around Jesus trying to hear what he has to say. And out in the middle of the crowd, a, a man yells out something to Jesus. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I think at that moment, like the crowd hushed. And, and you, maybe you can hear it from the, the man who's saying it out loud. He's yelling at Jesus, tell my brother, divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus stops in that particular moment. He hushes the crowd, and I think in that moment he looks to the 12, to his disciples, maybe his core group of followers that included some, some, actually some rather wealthy women that were with Jesus as well. And he's looking at them, and, and he wants to use this as a teaching moment. And he said to them, he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now Jesus stops right there. Stops the crowd. He says, watch out. I, I, I want you to be on guard about this. And I was thinking about the guy who was yelling out to Jesus in the middle of the crowd. How many of you know that probably it wasn't just something that he had thought of in, like in that moment? And he'd probably been stewing on this thought for a long time. You know, you're in the middle of a crowd of thousands of people, and you yell out, Hey, teacher! I got a problem with my brother! It's not fair! This rightfully belongs to me. My brother's holding on to everything. My brother has the money, and he he should share it with me. I, I deserve it. I'm owed that money. And 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 you see what happens? Like I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I, I think I'm right in looking at this because Jesus makes a big point of this. Like something happens in this guy's heart. Like, it's not right. It's not fair. Jesus, you tell my brother. Right? Like, 
Like, Jesus, you're fair, you're impartial, get on, get on my side. He's wrong, I'm right. And you can, you can almost feel this in the text, like he's angry at his brother. It's, it's created division in the relationship, it's created division in the family. Anybody ever struggled with money in your family? Just, just a few of you? You know, when, uh, when someone passes away that has some amount of money, it's a, it's a really interesting scene, isn't it? You, ever, you guys ever been there? You've you been in a situation like that? Where there's money or stuff, things? Anybody ever been involved in a fight in the middle of a scene like that? Just asking the question. So the brother's stewing on There's some injustice going on. If I could just get to Jesus, he'll tell me. Why? Because I'm right. He's wrong. He's got all this pent-up anger and frustration and rage. This, if I could even put it this way, like this righteous indignation. And so he comes near and he yells at Jesus. He says, you tell him. Divide up the money. And then Jesus, Jesus says, I, I love this. He says, he says, Jesus says, he says, watch out. Look at this in Luke chapter 12. He says, watch out. That word there in the Greek is not just to like look at, to see, to watch. But there's this spiritual idea behind the idea of watch. Like in a spiritual sense, Jesus is saying, I need you to use your spiritual eyes to look out for greed. Because what the brother could see was money and possessions and things. And what Jesus saw was a heart that was turned real hard towards his brother that was creating conflict and division and all of this anger and Jesus says, I need you to see things spiritually looking at his disciples and his followers I need you to look out I need you and then Jesus moves on he says I need you to be on guard and that that word there in the Greek is is kind of a military term it means like like to be a a guard a sentry if you will Someone that's standing on post to look out, to watch for, only in a spiritual sense. You need a spiritual sentry in your own life that's looking out for greed. And then what I find is interesting is that Jesus isn't just saying look out for greed in the singular. He's looking out for greed in the plural. Did you catch that? Jesus says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. When they were translating this, um, uh, biblical scholars uh, looked at this in, in multitudes of ways, going, all kinds of greed? Like, really? Is it, is it really? Should it be plural? But yes, indeed, it really is plural. Jesus is making a point here that there are, there's more than just money greed. And Jesus is trying to, like, work his way through to the disciples to have them have a teaching moment where he's saying, listen, I need you to watch out. I need you to have spiritual eyes because the devil has a scheme and he wants to use greed in your life, all kinds of greed, to knock you out of the race of life. As I look at the, these 
these two brothers, Jesus is not just, not just talking about the one brother. See, the one brother says, it's not fair, it's mine, it belongs to me. Like, how come? I, it's not right. This shouldn't be happening. And then the other brother, who presumably isn't there, but may, maybe he was in the crowd. That would have been really interesting. I don't know if that was the case or not. Uh, but, but the brother that wasn't there, that, that doesn't speak in this moment, he's just as guilty as the other brother. Because he's holding on to what rightfully isn't his. That he wants more. He wants to hold it to himself. He, he thinks it belongs to him. He was the, probably the firstborn. And the other was the younger brother. And so there's this conflict between the younger and the older brother. One says it's not fair, it's not right. And the other one says, I want more, I want to hold it all, it all belongs to me. And Jesus, I think, says Be, beware of all kinds of greed. Not just the, 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 the justice part of it, it belongs, it's my right. And the other that says, it's mine. It's a massive scheme of the enemy, particularly in the United States of America, where we have so much. Do you know, you, like, I don't, don't want to, like, be, ne- I don't want to flip this to be super negative, but in America, like, we have so much. And, um, I was, uh, I was listening to this story, actually from a Catholic priest, um, about a guy in China. I've been to China like dozens and dozens of times. And I've heard stories like this over and over and over, but this one really captured my attention. And um, the story that, that, um, that he heard of this guy that he knows um, who was from China, um, he was he and his family would meet together in, in their house, and they invited others to come, and they would, they would have church service. It's illegal in China to meet, to gather together, to have church, so to speak, unless you're in the official government church. If you're not in the government church, it's, it's illegal, and, and yet they didn't want to be part of the government church. There's there all kinds of issues with that. They wanted to gather together in their own home, and I've been in lots, what we call the underground church in China. I've been in lots of those churches, and they were gathering together. This was probably five or six years ago. They were gathered together in their home. They invited other people to come. They were having communion, just like we had communion here today in our service, only it was intimate. It was a, a moment in their house. They had sentries, guards that would like stand uh, outside and down the street in case authorities were alerted to the fact that they were gathering and meeting together. And one night as they were gathering together for communion and, and fellowship and getting together and kind of having church, the sentries burst into the door and said, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And all of a sudden everyone scattered and left and ran towards their homes. But of course the family that was there, the man of the house that was there had nowhere else to go. The authorities come in, burst through the door, and take him as the head of the house. They take him, arrest him, bring him to prison, and begin to question him. And as they begin to question him, they begin to ask him over and over, who's the leader? Who's in charge? Where is he? Where does he live? We want to knock this underground church out. And he refused to tell him. And then they began with a little bit more, more pressure. 
They stripped him of his clothes. They tied his arms up. They took a cattle prod that was juiced up with extra volts. And they began to touch his body, burning his body, saying, tell us, give them up. Tell us who's in charge. Tell us where everyone is. And he continued day after day after day after day of torture, of not being willing to give up those that were fellow believers. Can you imagine being in that moment? This went on not just for one day or two days or three days, not for one week, two weeks, but three to four weeks, stripping him of his clothes, tying him up, using the cattle prod, trying to electrocute, burns all over his body. He refused to give up. After three or four weeks, they let him go. They said, we couldn't break him. This man eventually, as he's released from prison through some connections that he had, he gathers his family and he makes his way back to the United States. First time here in the United States, uh, he lands in a city that kind of re- remains nameless at this point, and, and uh, he finds out and he discovers that there's, you know, there's a church just right down the street from where he lives. And he's like overjoyed and excited, like, there's, there's a church right there. And, and, and they do communion, and so he would go, and like every day with this Catholic church, and, and he would have Mass, and he would have communion, and he would engage with Christ, and, and all of that, like every day. He was like, in America, it's free. I'm not persecuted. I can live out my faith. And we take for granted the faith that we have. And this man was tortured for his faith, and now he's communing with God every single day. But then he also, he kind of realizes that, like, in America, you can begin to work and make money, and he wants to provide for his family, and so he's providing for his family, and he's kind of working his way up in his job and his career, and he's not going to church every single day anymore. He's going once a week, but he's still engaged with God, and, and he's providing for his family, and things look brighter for him. His future's looking good, and, and everything is going well for him. And then he begins to not just go once a week. He begins to miss, and now he's kind of going once a month, and he's making more and more money, and in, as a result of all of these kind of things, he gets so busy that now he's, he's only going to church on Christmas and Easter. And then this priest said that the last they heard, he wasn't even coming to Christmas and Easter. What communism couldn't do, couldn't do what an electric cattle prod couldn't do, what torture couldn't do, greed did without even trying. It ruined his life. It ruined his life because he felt like possessions were more important than the life that God had for him. See how distracted we can easily become in America? Like there's a scheme that the devil has for you. I'm not discounting what he did in China, suffering torture. But I'm also saying that there's a more subtle battle going on for your life. That's more insidious. That's more dangerous. That Jesus makes a point to this huge crowd in the first century where not everyone is super wealthy, but he stops in a moment, and I think he's looking at 21st century Americans, and Jesus is looking you in the face, and he says, watch out. 
with spiritual eyes. Guard, set a century over your heart. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed because your life, and in the Greek there it's zoe, the, the life that God has for you, the abundant life, the filled life, the, the, the overflowing life that God has for you doesn't consist about your possessions. Your possessions don't give you the overflowing life that God has for you. And we, we often think it does. The devil's scheme is greed. I, I, I wonder if in your heart, like you might be able to ask the question, like, like am, I, am I living in greed? I, I pulled this up because I wanted to give a definition of what greed is. Greed is the desire to have more of something, such as food or money, than is necessary or fair. In other words, it's a ruthless, self-seeking, arrogant assumption that others and things exist for one's own benefit. Ooh. That, Jesus, you tell that brother. T you tell him. Because it's for me. It's an unnecessary desire. Okay, so that's... That's the, that's the part that we need to watch out for. What's the plan? How do we stand? How do we stand against that? How do we put a century or a guard over our heart so that we're not entangled like that man from China? How, how can you walk it in your own daily life with the struggles that you have with your own money or food or power or prestige or possessions, all those different things that, that you want, that you the eagerly desire after, the things that you obsess over and over about? Because the devil's scheme is greed in your life, all kinds of greed. How can you, stay, how can you fight against that? Well, the God, God's plan for you, for us, is to fight greed with contentment and generosity. That, that's, the, that's like the antidote, if, if I could put it that way. The antidote to greed. The thing that helps you stand against those things is contentment and generosity. So the devil's scheme is greed, but God's plan is contentment. Let me look at that. The, the devil's scheme is greed, but God's plan is contentment. Can you look at your neighbor this morning and, and point at him, look at him, and smile, smile at them as you point at them and say, God's plan is contentment. Come on. God's plan is contentment. Okay. And then, all right, turn back to your neighbor and say, I'm content. Come on, say it again. I'm content. Put it online. I'm content. I'm content. The devil, the devil's scheme is greed, but 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 God wants God wants you to be content. Um, if if I could, maybe I could say it this way. I want to talk about contentment just for a second. Contentment isn't just like it isn't just like being okay with the possessions and the things and the money that you have, and the food and the house and the clothes. I mean, and it is. But contentment is, deep, is deeper than that. When we think of contentment like in a, 
in a physical sense, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm content. I'm, I'm not going to eagerly desire lots of other stuff. I'm going to be content with what, what God's given me. There, there's a degree to that, but I, but I want to go like deeper. Contentment is a sign of trust in God. Like the reason why I'm not worried about my possessions and money and food and things and stuff. The reason why I'm not telling Jesus, tell my brother to divide my possessions and getting all angry and frustrated is because I'm content. I can say, God, I trust you. God, I I, I trust you. I believe that that at the end of the day that you're going to be just towards me. Even if my brother doesn't divide my inheritance, God, I still trust you. Even if things don't go right in my life the way I think they should, I'm going to be content where I am because, God, I trust you. Paul said this, I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. And then I didn't put this on there, but Paul follows it up and he says, I can do all things through Christ who what? I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. That verse is talking about being content. Not having greed in one's heart, trusting God, being content with him. Because I know that at the end of the day, he's a righteous judge, whether I see it or not. If, if I could go just maybe just a little bit deeper when it comes to contentment. Contentment is not the absence of desire. It is the ability to be satisfied with what we have even when we have faith for more. Oh, okay. I, I, I got to stop. Being content doesn't just mean que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Right? It doesn't just mean you give up on life. I'm just going to be content. I'm just going to... No, 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 no. That, that's not what it is. We're content, right? We have... It, it, the, it's not the absence of desire. It's not like you just give up all desire in your life. But it's the ability to be satisfied. I'm satisfied. God, you satisfy me. Things don't satisfy me. Food don't, doesn't satisfy me. Possessions doesn't satisfy me. God, ultimately, you're the one that satisfies me. And I'm going to have faith for more of what you have for me. Okay, if, if, I, yeah, if I could put it another way, let me, let me put it this way. Contentment is not the elimination of desire, but a realignment of desire. We realign our desires. God, I want more of you. I, if I could put it this way, God, I want to be greedy for your presence. I, I have a strong desire to have you in my life. And so if I don't have all the stuff and all the things, God, I'm still going to trust you. Because I know that you're a good judge, you're a righteous judge. I, I'm not satisfied with my possessions. God, I'm, I'm satisfied with you. I'm, re, I'm realigning, I'm moving myself from my possessions and my things to now I have eyes to see so that I can have a Zoe life, a, a life that's abundant, that's overflowing, that, that I'm, not, I'm not given happiness by what I have, but I'm having joy because of who he is. Lord, do that. Do that for us. 
had like one more phrase that I kind of worked on a little bit. It says this, that we should be content in the present, but covered by the omnipresent. Be content in the present. In other words, I'm content with, with what I have right now. And I'm covered because he, he's covering me. He, he, uh, he puts his banner of love over me. He, he pours out his spirit upon me. And, and, and as I realign my desires to follow underneath his covering, then, then I know that he's going to be with me, that he's going to provide for me, that he's going to care for me. He's going to protect me. He's going to be intimate with me. I mean, like, I'm going to be covered by the omnipresent God. And the reason why I can say this is in Hebrews chapter 13, it says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Never, never will I leave you. This is a promise that we have in Jesus, that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Therefore, like, I don't, I don't derive all of my satisfactions from the stuff, but my ultimate happiness comes from him. The other, the other part of the antidote to greed is not, is not just being content, but being generous. And I'm not going to continue to walk that through today. We've kind of run out of time. But I just, want, I just want to say this, that a lack of generosity on our part really goes to the heart that hasn't been aligned with trusting God. Like, like the lack of generosity is a lack of trust. The reason why we're not generous is because we don't trust. We don't think we're going to have enough. So we hold. We're not content. We want to have more and more and more because we think that'll ultimately satisfy us. And Jesus says, the more you give, the more will be given to you. The more your hand is open, the more God is willing to pour back into your lap. So the antidote for greed, for all of these things, is, is to be content, God. I'm realigning my values with you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous. I'm going to give. I'm not going to hold on to things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give out of the abundance of what you've given me. Even the little that you've given to me, God, I'm going to give to you because I know you're the one that provides. You said you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. So if you could close your eyes this morning, I want you to have just a moment between you and the Lord, where you might be able to ask the question introspectively, like to legitimately ask the question, is there greed in my heart? And I know the default answer is like, well, of course, no, there's not greed in my heart. But I wonder if you could like ask that question just a little bit deeper this morning. And maybe instead of saying, God, is there greed in my heart? Maybe you could ask the question, God, do I trust you with my stuff, with my money and my things? 
Am I okay to let those things go? And then take a moment and say, God, I I release those things. I want to be generous. I want to be content. I want to realign my heart and my mind to trust you. As you continue to pray about that, I wonder if there's some people that are here this morning that maybe you find yourself far from God. Like you, maybe you've been greedy with stuff or relationships or things. You've been trying to do life on your own and you, you've come to the end of yourself. Maybe you just know that the path you're going down on is, is ending the wrong way and, and you know you need Christ. You need Jesus. He's the one that wants to save you, forgive you, heal you. You're not here by accident today. I wonder if there's someone here today or maybe some ones that would say, I need Jesus. I need him to come in and to wash me clean to forgive me of my sins. Jesus hung on a cross just for you so that you could be made right with him. There's no other way in which you can have God come into your life except through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. He is the way, the truth, the life, Jesus says. So I wonder if there's anyone in here that would just stretch forth your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I want to invite Christ to come into my life. I see that hand. Anyone else that would say, yeah, that's me. Just lift it up high. I want to be able to see where you're at and pray for you right where you're at. Anyone that would say, yeah, that's me. I, I see that hand right there. Anyone else that would say, yeah, I need Christ to come in to my life this morning. We're going to pray as a whole church. There might be others of you that, that maybe you didn't raise your hand, but just pray this prayer in your own heart this morning as the whole church joins with you this morning. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I believe in you. That you died on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from my wickedness. I believe you rose from the dead and that you give me new life. Fill me with your spirit. Come into my life. Thank you for saving me. Now just receive the spirit of God right now. The old is washed away. And now everything is new in your life. This begins the journey of you walking with Jesus for the rest of your life. The Bible says, behold, all things are new. Church, can we give a great big hand to those two or three that raised their hand? Let's welcome them into the family of faith. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. In just a moment, uh, for those of you that raise your hand, I'd love for you to come forward and connect with us. Uh, man, uh, we want to be able to give you a Bible and kind of give you some more information about taking the next steps in your faith with Christ. And also next week, there may be some of you here that have raised your hand over the last several weeks or months. And you, you kind of raised your hand out there. I'm asking you to make it public now. We're going to have baptism next Sunday next Sunday, where you come forward and you make your faith public, you declare to the world that you're going to walk with and follow Jesus all the days of your life. That's next week.